0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VDW Group. No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine. So that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account, and in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening, so you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat, and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm Jadam Salongkomer, the host of this channel, and today I'm here with Dr. Reni Thomas to talk about his book, Science and Religion in India, Beyond Disenchantment. And this book is something which is really fascinating, not only because this is a work by an anthropologist and a, and a social scientist, but also at the same time, this book brings out a different lens of trying to understand science and religion in the Indian context itself. So when I, when I read this book, I think uh, there were so many of the things at which I might not have uh, written or which I might not have really worked on but then I have given so much thought on the, the certain aspects of what the uh, author Dr. Rennie Thomas has really talked on and has, has, has really written on. I think this is a work which is a very appreciative work in that sense because it is by a social scientist who, who is writing on science and religion and it is an ethnographic work where uh, uh, the, the author himself Goes to the lab and then does ethnography there, and I think this is a very fascinating area of research, even in ethnography, also the laboratory ethnography. So, with, without much ado, let me just straight away go to the uh, author himself and then uh, start our conversation. So, first of all, uh, Doctor Reni Thomas, tell me something about yourself. Yeah,
2: thank you, Tia. Uh, well, I'm, as you said, I'm an anthropologist who is uh, interested in you know larger questions of uh, science, modernity, and religion. So, you know, I do ethnographic field work among scientists in institutions especially. Most of my work was uh, in Bangalore and also a few laboratories in Delhi and some other southern parts of India, uh, certain places in the southern part of India. Uh, But uh, as an anthropologist, by training, I'm deeply interested in also the social histories of science, the social histories of technology, and in many ways, an anthropological-oriented social history of science and technology. So, when I do my field work, I also go to the archives and try to see if I can find some fascinating material where I corroborate my ethnographic text with the you know the archival sources. And I think that's what makes uh, you know the question of science and religion very interesting because when we look at the contemporary life of science and religion in India, or for that matter, any societies. I think it's very significant to understand how that was the case, say, for example, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and in what ways we can actually think of having a conversation between the past and the present on, in my case, of course, the question of science and religion. Yeah. So, yes, as an anthropologist, I'm interested in and excited about these questions.
1: Yeah. Interesting. and. Coming to the book itself, and you know the process of coming to do a research on this area. When I look at the field of uh, anthropology in India, uh, you know we study tribal culture, society, the beliefs, practices, and whatever not. But I think your work uh, kind of uh, comes out from there, and tries to look at uh, science, technology, and all of those aspects. So what were some of uh, the influence uh, academically, what were some of the influence? the people that have influenced you or the trajectory of the life that have influenced you to lead you to the work of this area as an anthropologist? I think that is something uh, will be quite fascinating, yeah. yeah. That's
2: a great question, you know. Uh, so when I was trying to
1: do my field work you know,
2: as part of my PhD program, Uh, I was very clear that I didn't want to really go to my own society, like, you know, so like many of the anthropologists of our time, what they do is to really uh, study their own society and the, of course, the reason being familiarity with the language and culture, etc, etc. But I was actually hugely influenced by some of the anthropological work, say, for example, the works of Bruno Latour and various other anthropologists of science. So, I wanted to really study scientists, mainly because anthropology as a discipline uh, had a very different past, right? So, studying the so-called, right, you know, non-moderns, uh, and I and, and really wanted to study the modern, the so-called moderns, you know. So, so when you imagine the, the institutions of science, when you imagine, for example, the idea of a laboratory, You don't really associate anything religious, anything spiritual, anything ritualistic with these these spaces. But I was very keen to really understand, you know, these these sites of knowledge production. And that's how I really started my fieldwork among scientists in Bangalore. And of course, one of the, you know, in my introductory chapter, in fact, I discuss in detail, it's not easy for an anthropologist to really enter. Into the world of science and scientists, because you know, an anthropologist and social scientists are seen as outsiders, and they don't really understand the world of science. So for me, it was very, uh, you know, it's it was not an easy journey. But uh, I was also lucky that I could really convince the the scientists and the laboratory, and I became part of the uh, laboratory, and then rest is history. And it's interesting mainly because I was not very. Uh, Well, of course, you know, the thing about Indian anthropology is, of course, we have a very diverse history of anthropology in India. But uh, most of the available anthropologists, you know, know, of course, there are exceptions. Uh, Of course, as you have very clearly mentioned, uh, was on the questions of tribals and the questions of caste and the questions of religion, etc. As very, uh, you know, exotic objects in many ways, right? Uh, but I would, I would argue that, of course, all of these categories are very significant. In fact, uh, you know, it's only by looking at these, these concepts, looking at these, all those uh, objects that we can also study you know, the modern entities such as science. And, and, and I clearly show in my book that you know when you look at science and religion, you can't really look at science and religion as categories without looking at, for example, the question of caste. Right. So therefore, I I was very clear that I wanted to uh, look at a space that was not necessarily studied by anthropologists before in India. Of course, these questions are already raised by important anthropologists such as you know J.P. Subroi and uh, Shiv et etc., in different contexts. But I am I was trying to really look at the everyday practices, the everyday religious practices. Uh, in scientific institutions and uh, laboratories.
1: Yeah, and I think I like the connection you made between the society and the science itself. And this is where you also mentioned about doing ethnography among scientists and for you as an anthropologist to go into the area of science and, you know, uh, mingle with them and also do ethnography with them was, uh, as you have said, was not quite easy. So the methodological framework of the book also depends upon the laboratory ethnography, right? So, can you explain to the listeners what is what really is this laboratory ethnography? Is how do you carry out this ethnography? What is this methodology kind of conceptually looks like?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, this idea of a laboratory ethnography, you know, in many ways was very revolutionary in anthropology, right? Because uh, you know. Uh, the notion of a field in that sense got redefined and reshaped when anthropologists started really uh, studying the laboratory practices, right? Of course, especially with the coming of the discipline of science and technology studies, uh, science and scientific laboratories became an object of inquiry for anthropologists, right? So, of course, you know, uh, there isn't any standard way of actually doing laboratory ethnography just like any other fieldwork because we actually invent methods when we really start when we really start uh, being part of the laboratory. So in my case it took many months to really convince them the significance of what I was doing and most importantly the question that I would face always is you know what are you doing in a scientific laboratory because you're not a scientist right and I think this insider outsider dichotomy uh, you know, becomes a problem for anthropologists, especially when you study the so-called modern institutions, right, where everyone other than scientists are considered as outsiders, right. Of course, I'm talking about institutions where de- where they don't really have any, uh, you know, uh, any courses on social sciences uh, and departments on social sciences etc etc right these are essentially research institutions for uh, pure sciences in that sense right now as a laboratory ethnographer like all of the ethnographers you know what's more important is of course the power of uh, listening uh, because you're going to be part of the laboratory for for more than a year sometimes you know and it's 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 of course friendship that you're building up uh, with your you know lab mates right so after a point of time uh, of course they would accept you uh, as a member of the laboratory but not necessarily as an insider but they would recognize you in that sense right so in my case you know after I think four months I uh, really started having conversations with them and then with my lab mates uh, they started asking me questions and in that process I also had organized uh, you know a few lectures uh, say for example a lecture on philosophy of science and lecture on history of science by historians and philosophers of science and that really helped in the sense that you know many of my lab mates really didn't know what was ethnography what were social sciences in fact very often I would hear them saying that oh sociology is so easy it's not like Sciences, it's like journalism, you ask questions, etc. And I think like those questions were very significant because it's just that they didn't know about uh, many of these disciplines, which in many ways is also a failure of, you know, the training of sciences and technologies in India because they were not taught anything about the history, sociology and philosophy of science in India, right? So in that sense, you know, even when I was part of a laboratory, uh, you know, of course, uh, it took some time for me to convince them but once that process happened it was kind of easy for me and of course as laboratory ethnographer you are part of the institute you are part of the laboratory and using that identity of a laboratory member you will also be interviewing people and scientists from other departments right and using that insider identity you'd also be organizing events and programs etc where you are in a position to interact with scientists and researchers from various laboratories, various departments etc etc. Now as I also mentioned in the book laboratory ethnography is not a very very popular method in the Indian context mainly because of it's not necessarily possible for us to really convince the scientists actually. Uh, you can just n- name the number of laboratory ethnographies that we have in India for the last uh, 10 to 15 years, not very, uh, you know, you don't have much, for example, the work Upangat Seksaria, you know, which is a very interesting work. Okay, The book came out in 2018 and few other works, but then, you know, it's not like the kind of laboratory ethnography that happens in other places, like, you know, the kind of ethnography ethnographical works that you see from universities in the States and other European universities, that you don't find here. And it is also, I would argue, that many of our anthropology, sociology departments, and this is basically saying from my own experience, is that it's not really encouraged. Because science is, even though you have had, you know, a history of scholarship coming on science in the Indian Anthropologist, I have mentioned J.P.S. Ubray, you, you know, Navishu Then various important sociologists have done this work, yet science is not necessarily seen as part of sociological inquiry, right. So I think it is a challenge and of course uh, it's difficult to convince the laboratories but at the same time it's also uh, the problem with actually anthropology and sociology as a disciplines in India,
1: mm. yeah, the way you pointed out about the distinction in sciences and social sciences in the Indian context, and you know, of uh, doing laboratory ethnography is uh, something which is very significant. And for the upcoming people, uh, those, who, those who are planning to work on uh, laboratory ethnography and you know use this method, it will be something which will be very helpful in that sense. And whatever you have described is has also. Had a history in India of uh, why we see this divide very strongly and you know why these two are not coming together in the sense of their uh, you know academic discourse. So uh, this is where you mentioned Nehru and his significant contribution to the post-colonial uh, construction of Indian academia in terms of trying to understand the sciences. So what was Nehru's philosophy in that sense of you know his understanding of science and how India should technologically move and in, out into, and then what were his understanding of the Indian context itself, the Indian itself, right, the India itself. So what were some of his contribution and his thoughts? Yeah.
2: yeah so uh, the chapter uh, in one of the chapters actually, chapter one, is uh, it's basically my attempt as an anthropologist to really look at. A historical case of Nehru and the ways in which Nehru really conceptualized the question of science and religion and this actually this idea you know came to me mainly because I was interested in the larger question of scientific timber right so I started really looking at archival sources uh, on this question of scientific timber and the ways in which Nehru conceptualized the idea of scientific timber and the idea of science and scientific method etc. Nehru, of course, played a key role in really defining what constitutes modern science in India. I mean, of course, historians of science have written extensively on that, you know, which is a very well-documented aspect of Indian history of science. I was actually very much interested in understanding Nehru's position on science and scientific method and religion, right? So, I was looking at, you know, his views on... Uh, indigenous medical practices such as Ayurveda, Unani etc and what was his take on that and of course as we know very well that Nehru was highly shaped by you know modern science right of course as a trained scientist from Cambridge and also his close associates were distinguished scientists of his time both in India and also elsewhere and also the kind of philosophies that he was familiar with right it's a highly influenced by rationalism secularism of the of time etc etc so his idea of religion and science was also shaped through these notions where he thought science is going to basically shape everything modern in India right so he didn't really give much significance to uh, anything other than modern scientific institutions modern scientific you know modern sciences for that matter so he didn't really you know encourage much on uh, indigenous medical practices because he thought very clearly that these systems uh, lack uh, what he called as scientific method so in order to be called as science you need to really have scientific method that was very very important in human understanding of uh, you know science and what constitutes science. So his perspectives on modern, uh, you know, the indigenous medical practices such as Ayurveda and Unani, etc. were basically informed through the modern Western notions of science and scientific method. And of course, as I discussed in the book, he did face criticism from his fellow, uh, you know, members of parliament and his friends, etc. But um, I argue that, you know, one needs to also keep Nehru uh, in his time because you know, it's it's a complicated question because, you know, it's a newly independent country and then really trying to promote certain notions of, uh, uh, you know, scientific temper and secularism, etc. But having said that, I think it's important as anthropologists and historians to read those archival sources and see how and what was really wrong with Nehru's reading of, uh, you know, science. And this dichotomy, this... Uh, you know, dualism that he has created between science and religion was very clear in his understanding of uh, systems of medicine, etc. So, uh, so I argue that uh, when we look at the contemporary uh, India, it's important to also look at the historical, uh, you know, event uh, that we can very clearly trace through uh, archives and the role that Nehru played in creating this dichotomy uh, of science and religion in many ways, even though it was not necessarily about science and religion, but it was actually about the idea of science and non-science in many ways.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and uh, we can also see that the the dichotomy created by Nehru has been percolated in the very much uh, in the Indian context. But also at the same time, moving on, there comes the question of religion and science. Uh, We know very well that the term, part of this term itself is very much a contested term. So in your work, how do you use these uh, terms and how do you understand the term religion and science? And also how does in the Indian context, how does uh, the Indian context understand these two uh, terminologies? Yeah.
2: Yeah, this is of course a complicated question and I again address that in the book actually right. Of course religion as a category was highly contested and debated and you know challenged by various scholars including Talal Asad and same is the case of science right. But uh, in this book I use religion and science as the way it is kind of described by the scientists. You know, so because they, they of course, uh, use the category religion, they use the category science as well. And in that sense, I use religion as, you know, beliefs and practices and science as in, of course, modern science because these are essentially practitioners of modern science. Uh, having said that, you know, one should also keep in mind that uh, just like the word religion is contested, all the categories are contested, right? Of course, there is now emerging scholarship on connected histories, whether we can actually argue that religion is just a Western category, what about the kind of historical connectedness uh, that different sites had, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm not really going into, uh, you know, detail uh, on that questions, But I think I use religion as the way the scientists have described their identities. And I also, I thought it was important to have these notions to work through as concepts for anthropology so whether i use the whether i use the word religion or spirituality or culture and you can see in the book that i kind of problematize both the notions of culture and religion in different chapters because these are categories used for a purpose but these categories also have its own politics mm-hmm. in the indian context
1: yeah and interestingly as you have said uh, that you have used the term science and religion or how the scientists who use it so and um, that is where we come to your ethnographic work right in um, your work and laboratory ethnography and that is where you have also mentioned that uh, you know the scientists here in india they perform the rituals in their laboratory itself in their lab itself and i think that is something uh, quite interesting in that sense so how, how does uh scientists who is also religious how do they look at uh, their science and them being religious, you know, how do they uh, bring this together in one tandem together and, you know, how do they understand your the religious and the scientific uh, work in that sense. Yeah.
2: Fascinating question. Now, uh, you know, so I, so I have like basically three detailed chapters on this single question. <laughs> so scientists are interesting group of people, like of course, like any other groups of people. but. Um, my field work uh, among scientists in Bangalore especially, but I've also done field work in Delhi and, uh, you know, but mostly in Bangalore, that's my main site of research, you know. And the way in which scientists actually deal with these questions, whether it is in terms of practice and rituals and the belief. Now, it's interesting if you look at my uh, second chapter, where I show not just by looking at actually Uh, ethnographic material but I also look at the existing autobiographic and biographic texts right and I demonstrate how many of the very well established scientists actually write about their notions of God and belief everything in their autobiographies right and also the biographical notes on Indian scientists also you'll find that now what is interesting is unlike uh, the biographies or the autobiographies of uh, the many well-known Western scientists, you they of course you do find discussion on God and religion in some of the biographies, but most of the times you don't. But here in the Indian context, you find actually very well, very well-known Indian scientists writing about uh, their experiences as God and their experiences in religious places, etc., in a very detailed manner. Right. So I kind of try to use those texts uh, and corroborate that with my ethnographic text. In fact, uh, some of the uh, you know, uh, people that I have mentioned in the book and they very, very clearly show and argue that religion is so significant and important for them to do their science. In that sense, they are not necessarily making you know, a distinction between the world of science and religion. But at the same time what I am arguing in the text in largely is that they are also not trying to prove one with the help of the other. Alright, so in fact the scientists that I have studied and interacted with for a long time now very clearly show that how for them you know both science and religion are important worlds. They don't really want to compare these two worlds, also they were not very interested in contrasting these two worlds. Right? And that's why I call you know it, it has to be beyond the binary of you know conflict and uh, compatibility, right? Because this binary really doesn't really help at all. You know, uh, having said that, of course uh, you'll find scientists doing practice, you know, ritualistic practices in the laboratory, or or say you know you'll find see it's very just amazing. Like you know you go you just enter laboratory you find images of gods and right you know uh, so the, so small idol of Ganesha and Shiva etc etc it's just amazing right and then then you talk to them and they say well you know we are not believers we don't really believe in this particular idea of God and that's where I tried to argue how for scientists they imagine a different notion of religion right and one of the reasons why they do is to really keep a distinction you know with uh, the, the uh, so-called non-scientists, so therefore the scientist's way of conceptualizing, believing, etc., is very different from the non-scientists in that sense, right? And uh, and you'll find them participating in rituals. You'll find them partici- participating in uh, you know Ayudha Puja, Diwa, Diwali, Diwali, and all kinds of festivals that you'll you'll, you'll see them actually, right? They're participants, active participants, not just supporters, which is very important to make. Having said that, it's also important to note that uh, the Indian situation is quite uh, unique in the sense that, you know, it's most of the scientific institutions are uh, shaped through the cultures of the the Hindu majoritarian uh, ideas, right? So, therefore, you find... uh, Uh, scientists uh, very comfortably practicing these notions mainly because there isn't much distinction between say their home and office right so what they do in their home is exactly what they do also uh, in their workspace because both the sides actually share similar culture right and that's where the problem comes in when you have, you know, non-Hindus and non ex scientists, etc. When they come to these institutions, they find it uh, quite difficult uh, to understand the life world uh, of the institute. So, in fact, the larger culture of the institute, I argue also in the book, is essentially the culture of the uh, majoritarian, um, you know, practices majoritarian faith which is of course uh, Hinduism in the Indian context so when I argue that you know science and religion uh, as, as categories uh, you know are very different in the Indian context one needs to also keep in mind the persisting notion of cultural nationalism and how you know both the categories of science and religion are used for the course of cultural nationalism. So, they ha- one has to look at the politics of science and religion, uh, where these questions of cultural nationalism comes in. And on the other hand, one needs to also look at the specificity of the question of science and religion in Indian context, which is important as anthropologists and historians, right? So, therefore, I argue in the, in the book uh, that when we study science and religion in India, it's not... An easy task because very often there is a tendency to actually look at science and religion in the Indian context. But what you see in many of those texts on science and religion, it's basically science and Hinduism. Right. So therefore, I argue that one needs to reconceptualize what we you know when we use these categories uh, of science and religion. And uh, understand the diversity, understand, you know, how different uh, system respond to these questions differently, etc. It's very important to understand uh, the, the, the uh, diverse traditions in the, in, in the Indian context. Because I think like if you don't really look at this diversity, there is a chance that uh, we will actually miss the meaning of science and religion in India.
0: slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
1: Yeah, I I think you have uh, put in a lot of, um, you know, uh, contents in there which needs a little bit of unpacking. And so one question that uh, comes is uh, this one, where you also mentioned where scientists, the kind of religious practices that they practice or the kind of religiosity that uh, they practice by a scientist, they differentiate it from a lay person. The scientists, you have uh, mentioned that they differentiate from a lay person. But also, at the same time, the scientist also differentiates between what is certain, what aspects of practices are cultural and what practices are, aspects of practices are religious. So, uh, how do they make this distinction between the, you know, themselves and the lay person being religious and also the distinction between the culture and religious in that sense?
2: Yeah, that's a fascinating question. Oh, you know, it's kind of interesting because if you if when you speak to the scientists, they say that we are not like actually the laypersons, right? So we don't need to go to actually the temple. Uh, in that sense, we are not very ritualistic. But the laypersons are, you know, in their own words, the laypersons are ritualistic in the sense, that so many of the scientists would say, if you if you look at uh, some of the discussion they say you know they don't really understand why people go to you know huge temples and be in queue for a long time to uh, see the Sanctum sanctum because they think that it's not necessary right and they think that like they have a faith and they can just sit a, sit in their you know comfortable place and then pray to god that that's completely fine so in that sense they argue that even though they are religious in nature religion and the notion of religion is very distinct from, you know, the laypersons. And this notion of distinction keeps happening actually in among scientists. Like when you speak to the atheistic scientists, right, they would make a distinction actually from those of the religious scientists. But what's interesting is both the atheists and the religious scientists would come together to really embrace this notion of culture. Right. So even atheist scientists would say that well, you know, I don't really really believe in God, I don't really go to any of these religious places or pilgrimage places, but I do believe in the idea of culture. And uh, I try to argue that this culture, of course, in the context is a uh, caste habitus, and that kind of unites both the religious and the atheist, atheistic scientists, right? So when they make a distinction. Uh, of course, when it comes to, uh, especially with reference to the so-called laypersons, where their religion is very different from the scientists. In that sense, they're also trying to make the identity of being a scientist believer. They're different from, you know, so in that sense, it's. A, I think there I also, uh, you know, discuss the whole notion of the power that we associate with science and scientists, right? So, they think that even when they say that they're believers, when they believe in God, they have to make that distinction because they associate their identity with science, right? It's a larger notion of power then that's associated with science. So, therefore, as a scientist, I have to be different. So, very often you see, you know, in the text text as well, they say that my family members are very religious, but not me. You know, I respect their faith, but I'm not ritualistic like them. And they create their own notions of uh, belief, for example, right? They would say, well, you know, for me, helping a person is actually a religious act, not necessarily going to a religious place, right? So, this, this the notion of distinction is quite fascinating between religious and non-religious centers. And, of course, you know, the question that you were asking, which is very pertinent, is basically about the distinction between religion and culture, Right? As an anthropologist, I was kind of, you know, excited and curious to know the life of the category culture. I mean, we are students of anthropology, you know, culture is from the first day of your training, right? But what's interesting is, you know, the way in which scientists actually conceptualize culture, right? What is culture? What are the festivals that they would consider as culture? Right, so certain festivals are seen as cultural certain festivals are seen as religious now it's noticeable that the festivals that are seen as religious they are mostly uh, you know non-Hindu festivals like Eid and Christmas etc were seen as religious and therefore you don't really have actually uh, much of a celebration or as well in these places but what are basically called as cultural right you know, whether whether, you're, whether you think about Ayyadu Puja, whether you think about Diwali, Ganesh Chaturthi, etc. were actually conceptualized as cultural, right? And therefore, you know, when you conceptualize these systems as cultural, it's not necessary that the culture is actually in contradiction with science, right? So you can actually practice culture in a science institution, right, in that sense. So it is also a very strategic act, right? And again, this is nothing to do with one scientist or two scientists. This is where we need to really look at anthropologically and historically, the very culture of you know, these institutions, the culture of scientific institutions. And of course, it's, it's, it was completely shaped, you know, uh, for, uh, not just uh, in the last uh, 10, 10 years or 20 years, but historically, these were culturally upper caste in nature. Therefore, whatever that you have in the institutions are actually seen as cultural, and therefore, you know when an outsider, so called uh, so called outsider, comes in, it becomes a problem for both of, both of them, right? Because, uh, because you already have an insider, as you know, Ajendra Subramaniam in her so Subramaniam anthropologist, and, you know, in her work on IITs very clearly demonstrates, right? You know, the notion of uh, insider and outsider uh with reference to caste, you know because these institutions are already shaped uh, through the life and the worlds of the Brahmins, right?
1: So yeah, very true. You have explained that uh, very I mean clearly and properly. and that is where I also want to come into and uh, come into the aspect of the atheist scientists and uh, look at the notion of atheism in India, right? I had a conversation with a PhD scholar from Edinburgh University, which uh, I have uploaded our conversation in my YouTube channel. He is working on atheism in India. And I haven't really written or done anything on this, but then I have given a lot of thought on atheism and all of those as such. And you know the way I think about uh, one aspect of it, where I think about atheism is something like this, where A person from America, the way he or she identifies himself will be very different from how a person from India, uh, he or she will identify himself or herself as an atheist. Because the person from America, let's say, will identify himself or herself as, as an atheist by rejecting the Christian notion of God. So there are certain ideas, you know, cultural ideas of God, and that is where he or she... So he or she might knowingly or unknowingly do that in that sense, right? That he or she might not have all the ideas of God, but he or she have certain cultural notions of the idea of God, which is Christian idea of God, and by rejecting that, he or she identifies himself as a, herself as a Christian. And in India, I'm sure the context, the understanding will be very different. So, uh, so how does one identify himself or herself as an atheist in India, and what does an atheist scientist look like in that sense? Yeah, yeah, again, very interesting question. So, you, know, so my interest
2: in studying atheism, of course. Uh, it's shaped actually by some of very, very interesting scholarship on atheism and trying to understand unbelief, right? Because you see what happens is, uh, atheism is not just about rejecting God, which is as you say, it's a very Western idea. But then you know, you have now existing scholarship. In fact, if you look at this uh, new two-volume two uh, uh, text edited by Stephen Bullivant and Michael Ruse, Uh, Cambridge History of Atheism, where I have a chapter as well. And you see very interestingly how diverse traditions of atheism, right, you know, so when we think about atheism, we only think about, you know, Richard Dawkins and, you know, that kind of atheism. But uh, that's not the case when you really study uh, atheists, right, you know, so anthropologists have demonstrated very clearly from different sites that what people really, uh, you know, when people use the word atheism, it has a very different meaning in different sites and different places, and it is important that we understand that instead of, uh, you know, giving them this identity that athe- atheism means godlessness, etc., etc. So in my own work, I try to show how the scientists when they use the word atheism, what does it mean, right? So of course, when they use the word atheism. Very clearly, it means that they are—they are not—they um, are not, don't really believe in certain notions of God, etc. But it's not—it it doesn't mean that they don't really belong to the culture, right? So, in that sense, in many ways, they belong to the larger culture of the religion. That's where, for example, you know, of course, they're uh, endogamous in nature. You know, so they marry—they marry from their own uh, castes. And uh, what is also interesting is that uh, many of the scientists would give their children, you know, the names of traditional gods and goddesses as well, mm, and uh, they, in many ways, they follow the religious code, right? But they they don't really believe, as they would say, in in any notion of God. I think that kind of a flexibility is there uh, when it comes to the idea of atheism in the Indian context. So it's not just among scientists, right? You know, even uh, generally when you speak to atheists you hear them saying that well you know but culturally mm, I believe in certain things right it is this notion of that culture that was uh, interesting to me as an anthropologist right and that's where I try to show that even when we think about the idea of uh, atheists and atheist scientists in the Indian context they are not necessarily talking uh you know, they are not necessarily saying that they don't believe in any uh, notions of God, right? Uh, and in that sense, there are similarities actually between the religious scientists and the atheist scientists. So, it's very difficult to make that make that distinction, right? In many ways. And also, uh, what unites the religious and the non-religious or the atheist scientists is also this, that the coming together of their cultural life, right? So, they the scientists that I spoke to they criticize the religious scientists for being you know superstitious in nature that they are not scientific enough in that sense uh, but then, you know it's interesting how they come together on questions of culture and for example the celebrations you find everyone together you know you'll find atheist scientists also doing the same thing uh, as what the uh, you know non atheist scientists are doing right so you and I also discuss that in the text is that there needs to be, you know, new understandings of atheism, you know, from 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 different sites and different uh, locations, and that will actually challenge the kind of, you know, uh, deterministic notion of atheism that we have uh, in the popular world, right? Uh, but that's not really what happens in real life when you interact with people, when we start doing field work, etc.
1: So before coming to my last question, you talk about the dichotomy between science and religion and how in Indian context it's a bit different, right? Uh, and you talk about it through your ethnographic work and all all of those aspects. Now you have mentioned about this one a little bit, but also this question is a very a bit popular level question in the sense where there are uh, people trying to prove God through science, and then uh, there are certain statements which says that the language of science to prove the existence of God is invalid, something like that, right? In one of your discussion, you kind of uh, mentioned someone saying that one. So how how does uh, in the Indian context, uh, so uh, since science is not used as something to really prove the existence or non-existence of God, which is a very popular level discourse that happens, and you know people are really fascinated with it. So, are this distinction maintained in the Indian context, and you know uh, uh, how are this uh, conceptualized in that sense, and how how can uh, we carry part of this in that sense, the scientific aspect of it? and then the religious aspect of it, and then, you know, and then bring this together and then move ahead in the sense of trying to, trying to understand God is, him, God itself, but also at the same time, God, which is an ineffable aspect of human life, but also at the same time, the material aspect of human life, right, the logical and the, the and, and all of this aspect. Correct. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. So, as I mentioned already, you know, Siddhi, so the idea of a proof uh, for, for the scientists, you know, they don't really consider this notion of proof when they think about God or religion for that matter. So they very clearly make a distinction actually between the world of science and the world of religion. And for them, proof is an important category when it comes to, of course, uh, science. But you know, in fact, many of them have argued and they discuss in their book that, you know, they think that it's meaningless to really use this notion of proof to understand uh, science because uh, these are two different worlds, two modes of existence actually if I have to use Latour's terminology. These are two different modes of existence and comparing and contrasting them are actually problematic and meaningless for them. So the way in which they conceptualize these questions of religion and science where religion plays a major role of course for their life and uh, but, but not in terms of proving the existence of God. Of course as you said this is a very old Kind of question where many of them, in fact, told me that they are not; they were not at all interested in really looking at this question from that point of view, because trying to understand a deity, trying to understand a god, a belief through science for them is really not uh, what they really want to do. So that that distinction is very clearly, you know, kept in their life world, everyday life world.
1: Uh, yeah. So let me come to the last question that I have. And you have mentioned about uh, the aspect of caste and politics in India in terms of uh, in the scientific journey. And you have mentioned about it in our conversation as of now, and you also told about how the laboratory culture is very different when someone from different caste come to that laboratory and all of those aspects. So can you please expand more on the caste and the, the science and the politics aspect of it? Yeah, sure. Of course, you know,
2: uh, for uh, historical reasons you know that uh, the Indian institutions of in fact any institutions but of course uh, I'll be talking only about the scientific institutions are um, mostly dominated by the the upper castes, right? and in that process they also created a certain kind of culture all right and therefore that those are cultures in terms of maybe the dietary practices maybe what they call as cultural programs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now these are very much, you know, the cultural courts of the upper castes in many ways, right? And therefore, when uh, you know you have people coming from other sections, it becomes very difficult for them. Of course, sometimes they have to compromise, uh, which I have observed as well. But of course, you know there are resistance, right? And that is especially coming from students like you think about ambedkar students association many of the iits etc right in that sense there is a larger resistance now it's coming for sure but it it has not really reached the the you know higher level of uh, uh, you know institutions where i think it is important in that sense to uh, what is lacking now is basically representation of faculty members from diverse backgrounds Right, so the statistics also very clearly shows the number of uh, you know Dalits and the Obeses are like really less, right? So you know this is again you know as a result of RTI uh, filed by students uh, and researchers uh, who are from uh, the communities that are not represented actually in that sense, right? So therefore. It's important, I think, that for the course of democratization of knowledge and democratization of science, uh, it's high time that you have more diversity, right? And it is that diversity is what is lacking and therefore, when, as I say, you know, when we look at the question of belief and when we look at the question of science and religion as an anthropologist, It becomes very very significant for us to look at the question of caste as well because in India as we know very clearly that you you can't really make a distinction between caste and religion right because caste is very much part of religion so one of the problems that I have with some of the uh, existing literature not necessarily from India but elsewhere when they look at question of religion and science they don't really look at actually the diversity in India so when I say that an Indian scientist, which Indian scientist are you talking about? So there, that's where caste comes in. That's where gender comes in, right? Uh, that's where religion comes in, right? So these categories are very significant if you really want to understand uh, the the complexity actually of
1: uh, science and religion in India. That's very true. Uh, I have asked almost all the questions that I've needed to ask. That. Uh I mean, if if needed be, we can carry on with our conversation, but then the time is very limited, so you have to stop here. But is there anything that I've missed that you wanted to say about the book?
2: Uh, no, you have actually asked all important questions. So I want to just say that the book is, of course, uh, an ethnographic work. And also, in many ways, I was uh, struggling uh, with the kind of material I had, and I'm you know, so that's where I think uh, I would argue that the book is, of course, an anthropology of science, but at the same time, it is also a social history of science because they use archival materials and, um, uh, and, and the discussion from the past. Uh, therefore, I would, uh, like, I would like the readers uh, you know, and the listeners to read this book from the perspective of uh, history of science and also an anthropology of science but you have asked all important questions yeah. and
1: yeah really... and that's really interesting and very fascinating conversation and a very well researched book in that sense and also at the same time a field which is very much needed in the sense the history and the anthropology of science which is very much needed in indian context itself because i think in the indian context the social sciences haven't been really able to penetrate the scientific realm of uh, their work culture and all of those aspects, so I think this is uh, and their philosophy, and also this is a very important and interesting work. And thank you uh, very much, Dr. Reni, for being here and having this conversation with me. Actually, so is there any other uh, future projects that you're working on? Yeah, Yes. Yeah, so I have a couple of
2: projects that uh, started thinking and uh, you know working on. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm in the process of looking at actually the life world of technicians and uh, workshop workers and machinists in Indian scientific institutions and trying to understand and see the possibility of thinking about a history and anthropology of science through them, not necessarily through the scientists because the existing literature, mostly what we have, these are all told, right, through scientists. So I'm trying to really look at the possibility of constructing history and anthropology science through the life of machinists and because, you know, their memory of people, their memory of instruments, etc. are just amazing. So I did interview, you know, machinists and technicians, etc. I would like to continue that, uh, that work, uh, you know. So, and also uh, another theme that I'm very, very excited about is this notion of actually indigeneity, because Mm -hmm. I think like this is also a category that we hear very often these days, right, you know, what constitutes indigenous, especially in the context of India, where power and politics is very much part of and defining what constitutes indigeneity. So, I'm in the process of trying to really understand what constitutes this idea of indigeneity. And I'll be, of course, doing field work as well and also look at uh, some of the existing archival and available literature on that question. I think these are the two projects that I'm actually uh, interested in to, Uh, pursuing in the coming you know few years maybe
1: yeah very interesting projects ahead of you and i wish you best in your future projects and your work and uh, everything that you do thank you so much for being here and take care yeah thank you
2: very much i had a great conversation thanks again